My name is Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Well, as you know, throughout the weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, we've been learning some of the truths of our Christian faith from that beloved hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was written by Charles Wesley back in 1744. And in that year, Wesley must have looked around at the world around him and the mess that it was sure to be in. But then he looked at the promises and the hope that had been fulfilled in Jesus from the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he penned this hope-filled hymn. One author has said, as Wesley considered the plight of so many in the world and then thought of Jesus' birth, a hopeful thought consumed him. With great anticipation, he found himself looking toward the second coming of Christ, just as the Old Testament prophets had looked forward to his first coming in his birth in Bethlehem. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. And then today, we're going to focus on the last line of that first verse. Dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart. Let's listen to our main scripture passage for this morning's message. It comes to us from Matthew's gospel, the second chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. For you, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now over the years, we've kind of tried to harmonize or blend together Matthew's telling of the Christmas story and Luke's telling of the Christmas story. In Matthew's account, which we just heard, there are magi coming from the east to worship Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, it's very different. We have angels and shepherds in the manger. Two very distinct, different stories meant to tell us and teach us some different things about who Jesus is. But we've put them together, haven't we, as a church over the centuries... I was in our living room these past couple of weeks, and Marge and I have a collection of creches or manger scenes um, that we display in our home. 
And in every single one of them, uh, that is the larger one. Some of the smaller ones, you know, they just have the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. But the larger ones that include all the characters, they always have the shepherds and the sheep right there with the Magi. Although scholars think maybe the Magi didn't actually get there. They had to travel a long way for a year or two after Jesus was born. But we've sort of combined those stories together. Now, there are a lot of things that we do know about the Magi from Matthew's account. But there are also things that we don't know. And some other things that have just kind of grown up through Christian tradition over the years. Matthew, for example, for example never tells us how many Magi there are in the Scripture story. But tradition tells us, mostly based on the number of gifts that they brought... That there were three of them. Now in Western Christian tradition, the Magi have even received names. You won't find those in the Bible, but tradition has given them names. Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. And we don't know exactly where they were from, except that they were from the East. And sometimes we refer to them not as Magi, but as kings. And other times as wise men. Now the word magi that's used in the NIV translation which we read today actually come to us through the Greek which New Testament was written in but from an old Persian word and that word referred to a priestly class of Eastern religious leaders and these religious leaders paid very close attention to the stars. They were well known for their astrological knowledge or astronomical art. I'm not really sure which one of those words it is, but it was the stars, okay? In fact, they were the scientists back in their day. But why would the Magi have associated a star with a new king? Well, there are a lot of scholars and scientists over the year that have speculated what this star might have been. And they've figured out and calculated that somewhere around the year 7 BC, the planets Jupiter and Saturn came together very close in the sky, if not overlapped, just like they did this past Monday night. How many of you went outside of your house or went someplace special to see if you could see the star of Bethlehem as it was being heralded in the newspaper and so forth? I did too. I went out on my front walk. I'm not sure I saw it. I did see a star um, in the sky about where the sun had gone down. This was about 615 but I can't say that it was all that um, amazing. I, I would not have dropped what I was doing and like gone thousands of miles to follow it if I had seen it. There's some, I think it was below the tree line for me in our house where I was. I saw some amazing pictures um, that some friends and so forth had taken and posted on Facebook. It was an amazing astronomical sight. Uh, but these two planets held special symbolic meaning in the ancient world. You see, the ancients um, associated the planet Jupiter with royalty and with kings. And they associated the planet Saturn with Israel, with the people of uh, the Jewish people. And so it makes sense that Magi would have come looking for a new king of the Jews based on this unusual, very rare alignment in the sky of these two planets. Now one thing we do know for certain is this. 
and it's that the Magi had a desire. They had a desire to find the king of the Jews. They may have been studying the ancient Jewish scriptures, like Numbers 24:17, which says a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. These wise men, these scholars who undoubtedly loved learning things and studying things, would have had copies of ancient Jewish scriptures because there were Jewish people living all over the Eastern world at the time of the birth of Jesus. Remember several hundred years earlier when Babylon had crushed Judah and sacked Jerusalem, they carried the captive people um, into captivity in Babylon. And those Jewish captives would have taken the stories, the prophecies, their sacred texts along with them. So undoubtedly the Magi would have had copies of these Old Testament texts that prophesied about the coming Messiah. Or maybe God gave a special message to the Magi to go in search of the Messiah. We don't know. But what we do know is that they came with the desire to find the king of the Jews. They were searching. They were inquisitive. They were open to discover new things. They came with expectation. They came looking for something wonderful to be found. Now the same Christian tradition that gave names to the Magi also gave them countries of origin. Melchior is said to come from Persia, Caspar from India, and Balthazar from Arabia. You see, these magi represent people of every nation. They represent the Gentiles coming in search of the king of the Jews, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Each one of us has a desire deep down inside of us to connect with God, our creator. And God made that so much easier for us when Jesus became human at the incarnation. And when for our sake he removed the barrier of sin by shedding his blood on the cross. St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. I've heard some more modern expressions of that similar thought, where people talk about having a God-shaped hole inside each of us that cannot be filled by anything created, but only by the creator himself, made known to us in Jesus well, as open as the Magi were to finding the king of the Jews, King Herod was absolutely opposed to the idea. He was the opposite of the Magi. Now, you have to know that King Herod wasn't really a king. He didn't descend from the Davidic line of kings. He had only been given the title of king by the Roman occupying forces of Judea. They set him up as a ruler, as a king of this Roman territory. 
Herod wasn't even completely Jewish. His, his parents, only one of them was Jewish. So he only had some partly Jewish heritage. And because he wasn't from the line of David, he was never accepted by the Jewish people as their king. And so the Magi have traveled. They've traveled and traveled a long way, many miles, and they finally make it to Jerusalem. I mean, this is the capital city. That's the place where the palace is. That would have been the natural place for them to go and ask the question, where has this king who's been born, king of the Jews, uh, been born? Now Herod, he hadn't even heard that a new king had been born. Remember, King Herod wasn't the rightful heir to the throne, so he's not very happy to hear them asking this question. In fact, Matthew tells us that everyone in Jerusalem was disturbed, right along with Herod. I think maybe we can understand this unsettling feeling. I mean, it's nice to know exactly what the succession of leadership is going to be, right? I mean, just think about the upheaval and the divisiveness in our own country in recent days after our recent election. Uncertainty. We've always prided ourselves on this nice, peaceful, predictable transfer of power. Well, in Jerusalem, when Jesus was born, and Herod, that's exactly where they find themselves. Nobody knows what's going on. What do you mean there's a new king that's been born? And so Herod calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law together, and he asks them, hey, where is this Messiah to be born? And they quote some ancient prophecy. They quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And immediately Herod is filled with jealousy. He starts clinging to his power. He's about to go on a mad rampage to protect what he sees as his. He's ready to destroy any threat to his power. But you see, instead of grasping and clinging and thirsting for power, Herod should have embraced repentance for his sins. King Herod was known to have treated the people around him with suspicion and fear and jealousy. And because he was not the rightful heir to be king, he was always afraid of losing his position. I suspect he was always looking over his shoulder for someone who might usurp him. Because of his suspicions, we know that he had several of his children and one of his wives murdered. And after he found out that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem and exactly when it would happen, when it had happened, he ordered all the boys under the age of two years old in Bethlehem to be murdered, Matthew tells us. Herod was a man of great power, but it neither satisfied nor brought peace to him. You see, when the kingdom of God breaks into the kingdoms of this world, it does not create a silent night. <laughs> no, instead, a great battle breaks out between the two kingdoms. The powers of this world always align themselves in opposition to the kingdom of God, just like Herod did when he learned about the birth of Jesus. The only way we can find peace 
is through repentance, reconciliation, and making peace with God. When we repent of our own sinful and selfish ways, it clears the way for us to find a deeper longing, an unquenchable thirst for God. When we empty ourselves, God makes room inside of us, room that only God can fill. The people of Israel had been longing, thirsting, hungering for a coming king, a king who would be their Messiah and establish God's kingdom in the world for so many years. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 72, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let me ask you, do you ever long in your heart for a ruler who fits that description when you face the problems of this world, when you face the problems in your own life? Do you look for and long for that day when there will be no more suffering or homelessness or poverty or abuse in the world? The Messiah has come to rule the earth with righteousness and justice. Jesus has come to be the ruler of our hearts and our lives. And he's come to fill our deepest longings and our heart's desires. Let's pick back up in Matthew 2, verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Don't be fooled by Herod. That's not why he wants to know. After the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, the culmination of the Magi's journey was at hand. They had come from a distant land seeking a new king, and it was their desire for something deeply spiritual that had driven them there. It's the same for us. Desire is the fuel for our spiritual growth. You see, our journey with Christ is an invitation to desire. And if desire is the fuel for spiritual growth, then we need to have a plan for increasing it. And there are several ways we can do that, I think. 
First is we need to stay in community. I can imagine that all during the trip from their homeland, the Magi had been traveling together. And they had been probably discussing numerous times over and over what they knew about the Jewish Messiah from the scriptures that they had studied and, and learned from. They must have marveled together at the wondrous star that kept leading them westward from their homeland toward Israel. They had each other for support. They had each other for encouragement. They had each other to spur each other on in their quest to find the king of the Jews. Faith journeying has always been about being and staying in community. And that's been the most difficult thing, hasn't it, during this year of COVID-19. It's so much harder to stay in close community with other Christians as we try to limit the spread by physical distancing and wearing masks and not gathering in person. And so our small groups have had to get pretty creative, haven't they? I remember our small group, when it, the weather was warmer, we would meet outside. And, and in cooler times, we've had to get pretty creative meeting via Zoom. But I can tell you how much I have valued the fellowship and the friendship and the community of my small group during this time. We need to stay close to other people. Other people who can spur us on towards love and good deeds. And we also need to stay in God's word, I've also valued so much staying in the word with my disciple Bible study group this year. Over these last 12 weeks or so since September, we've been reading through the Old Testament together. Reading many of these prophecies, prophecies that we've been talking about during Advent about the coming Messiah. And we see them fulfilled in the Gospels. Being God's word each and every day is a really important way to feed the fire of our spiritual growth. Because God's word changes us. It gets inside us and transforms us. And it also informs us of God's truths and it reminds us of them. And we need those regular reminders, don't we? Remember those chief priests and the teachers of the law from Matthew 2, 4? They knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. They even quoted the prophecy from Micah 5, 2, but somehow they missed it when it actually happened. We need to be reminded of God's promises. And we also need to take and make worship a part of our lives every day. Yes, it's very important for us to come together and worship corporately on Sunday mornings, the Lord's Day. But worship is more than just that hour. Worship is a way of life every single day of the week. Worship is the lifestyle of a Christian. It's a posture of putting God in the way of Christ before anything and everything else in our lives. Matthew tells us that when the Magi saw that the star had stopped over Jesus' house in Bethlehem, they were filled with joy. And upon entering the house, they worshipped Jesus. They humbled themselves. 
they bowed down on the ground before the Christ child and they offered him the very best they had in worship. When we worship the Lord and offer him all that we are, he can really go to work on us. And as we surrender to God, what we find is we want so much more of God. We can learn these important lessons from the Magi. Like them, we must seek Christ. Like them, we must behold the truth and grace of Christ. Like them, we must bow down and worship him with all that we are and all that we have. And when we do that, our restless hearts will find our rest and true joy and our faith will flourish. Jesus Christ is the desire of every nation and he is drawing all the world to God through himself. And when we seek him, we will find him. And when we do and worship him for who he is, he will fill us with the desires of our hearts. King David puts it this way in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. So lead us by your spirit that in this life we may live to your glory and in the life to come, enjoy you forever. For we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.